Um, well, we're going to be in Job chapter 1. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It will be on the screen. Um, and let's go ahead and just pray, and we'll get started here. God, this is a, uh, this is a tough book. This is a tough topic. Uh, and no doubt, um, there's some hearts that, that need to hear this. My heart needed to hear this. God, we're talking about a battleground for the heart today. And I do not take that lightly, and I ask, and I plead for your help. I ask that your spirit be the source of the learning that takes place today, and that you be with us, that you show up again, if you are, and that we can leave here today and never question again, if you are good. I ask this according to your son, amen. What we're talking about today, the, the title of the sermon is, Heaven is the Fulfillment of Man's Tragedy. I'm giving you the punchline, right there it is. Heaven fulfills man's tragedy. Say that with me one time. Heaven fulfills man's tragedy. Let's do that one more time. Heaven fulfills man's tragedy. So now begs the question, you know, we're in the series, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. You know, The Bad and The Ugly, how do we, how do we deal with suffering? You know, we couldn't, we couldn't do this series justice without bringing up the topic of suffering. How is it fair that we suffer? How is it fair that, that God is up on high? He is the king, and we're down here suffering. How is that fair? How do we call him good? You know, we're talking about tragedy and heaven fulfilling man's tragedy. You know, let's talk about what a tragedy is for a second. You know, we have tragedy on, on kind of a macro scale, a big scale. We have stuff that happens like hurricanes that takes and just wipes out acreage, wipes out homes, wipes out life. We have flooding that we see uh, here in West Virginia um, that just annihilates people's possessions, that sometimes annihilates and takes people's lives. And then we have tragedy on a smaller scale. Sometimes, and it's really not even smaller, it's just what it is to you. Sometimes a tragedy looks like your health is bad. You lose a, a, a limb. You, you get cancer. Tragedies such as, my, my dad never loved me. My dad did. But I know there's people here that struggle with that. They had parents that just were not involved. What is, what is your tragedy? I want us all to go to a place today, and I promise you, I promise you that I will help bring you out of it, but I want you to go visit a place where you experienced a tragedy of your own. I want you to think about it. What was it? What did it make you feel like? What did it do to your walk with God? Because here's what I know. Satan loves your tragedy. That's where he lives. That's where he preys on you. That's where he seeks to devour you. It's so important to talk about tragedy and to talk about suffering because so much of the world is totally turned off to God because of it. You will either deal with it in your own life if you live long enough, or you will deal with it in somebody else's life. So if you are here today and you can't think of your own tragedy, you can still listen because if you follow Jesus, you will talk to somebody that has faced a tragedy. And you need to be able to tell them, God is good. God is the best. 
I know that he's the best. You've got a bad situation. You've got a bad hand. You've been dealt a terrible hand. But I'm here to tell you that God is good. And I want to show you how he's good. Even in the midst of tragedy. My greatest tragedy was about 14 months ago. I received a phone call. And it was not good. That phone call informed me that... Um, my mom was, was not going to make it. She had been battling ovarian cancer for six years. She had stayed faithful to God. She had prayed for healing. She had asked for his help. For six years, she, bought, she fought cancer. And I got the call 14 months ago that she, she wasn't going to beat cancer here. That wasn't easy. I can't believe I even just made it through that. And I questioned. I remember it clear as day. I said, God, are you good? God, this person, this innocent person, my mom, has cried out to you. You have the power. Where are you? I couldn't understand it. And God did give me an answer in his time. And I'll share that with you. But first, let's talk about... A guy named Job in our Bibles. We're going to start in uh, verse 1 and get through verse uh, 5 here. Job, I mean, this guy is awesome. It kind of starts out in kind of like a weird fairy tale, at least what it sounds like to me. There was a man in the land of Uz, not Narnia, but Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons, three daughters. He was not Amish. This was actually just like a cool thing to do back then, have ten kids. I know we all look at that and say, you're crazy. But, Jess, do you want to have ten kids? No, okay, all right. All right, so, yeah, that was a no. Uh, There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. It's kind of tiring just thinking about all of his assets, really. Um, And it says he had very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. So seven sons each had a day of the week, and they would basically host a party every night. So Job had this life figured out. I mean, he got it good. If he wanted a party, he was there every night. His sons would have one. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So the whole family was involved. Every night they had big family dinners. I kind of think of Duck Dynasty, really, because they have... Okay, all right, so maybe I'm weird. But... um... So they would one big happy family, have family dinners every night, every day of the week. There was a party going on. Job would send, and after the parties, after the feasts had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said that it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually." Job cared so much more about being right before God than he did about having a good time, than he did about his possessions. I mean, burnt offerings, they cost money. I mean, they cost cattle. I mean, it's like, you know, he had to sacrifice, not just out of his own, you know, just because he felt like it, but he actually lost when he, burnt, or when he offered burnt offerings. 
So, and we also see later in the chapters of this, of this book of Job that Job was not only just a, a rich man, but Job was a powerful man. It talks about Job having like, when he would go into town, princes would get out of their seats and say, hey, Job, here, here, here's a seat for you, Job. Job, here's a seat for you. I mean, Job was kind of like the modern day, I would say like Tim Tebow slash maybe Mother Teresa because he was also known for, I know there's different times, but anyways. So <laughs> Job was the man. He was the business, okay? It also said Job had pull with judges, and he used that pull whenever he could to help out the poor. He would help out. He said, since my youth, I cannot remember a time when I've seen a widow in need and not helped her out. Job was the man. It doesn't get any better than Job. Think of the most powerful person you know, and probably times that by like a hundred, and we have Job. When Job spoke, people listened. It also says that, those very words. When Job spoke, no one refuted him. As in, when this dude said, hey, this is a good idea, dude, you did that. That's how that worked. Job was the man. Nobody questioned Job. If Job said something, it was going to happen. Job was like a king in his, in his region. He said he was the greatest of the East, greater than the nobles of the government. That's the guy that we're talking about right now. So let's move on to verse 6 and see what happens next. And this is, this is a, a very interesting passage here. Um, nowhere in the Bible that, I'm really know, that I know of do we see Satan and God directly communicating with each other other than these, these two chapters right here, one and two. So let's listen in closely, um, and I think we can learn a little bit of something here. Now there was a day when the angels, or the sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, this is interesting, from where have you come? See, Satan answers to God still. We have two different kings here. We have two different nations, kingdoms. And let's see what Satan says, because he thinks he's the king of earth. He says, um, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking down and up and down on it. In other words, Satan's like, God, I go wherever I want to on earth. That place is mine, okay? When I go there, people listen to me. When I go there, they let me do whatever I want. Unlike you, God, I have to answer to you, but <laughs> I'm telling you, on earth, I go wherever I want. I go up and down, I walk to and fro. They like me down there. And the Lord responds to Satan. The Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Boy, wouldn't that be cool to have God say that about you. Here, it's so cool. We see God literally bragging on man. Searching the hearts of man, looking at Job, saying, there is a man whose heart is fully devoted to me. I am Job's king, not you, Satan. You think you're the king of earth, but have you seen Job? Have you seen the people that he influences? Have you seen what he's like? He represents me so well. Have you considered him? Have you looked at Job? He's just like me. And Satan answered the Lord and said, and this is, I want to camp you out here for a minute, so listen in. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. 
But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. What did Satan do when God started bragging on Job? When God says, I believe in you. I believe in you, Job. What did Satan do? He goes, mm, not really. No, Job's here for the wrong reasons. Job doesn't have this all figured out. Job, if you just take away what he has, his, I mean, deep down, his heart belongs to me. Satan saw Job's riches and possessions as a weakness, and he exploited it. And he focused on the weakness, and he brought that report before the Lord. And God said, well, let's get to the bottom of this. All right, Satan, you think you're king down there? Let's get to the bottom of it. Fine. We'll see where Job's at. Take away all he has. Satan looks at the weaknesses, looks at your weaknesses, looks at my weaknesses, and he makes large your shortcomings. What does God do? How do you see people? Because we're looking at two different kings here, two different beings that see people a lot differently. God sees Job's strength and says, that's a man that I'm building upon. I'm building on this strength. And he's going, he's like me. What's your strength? God gave it to you. Don't neglect it. God sees your strengths. He's bragging on your strengths. That's why he gave them to you. He, God believes in you. He asks us to believe in him in return. But God's first, he's the one that first believed in us. And he has given us a strength. And it's somewhere. And if you don't know your strength, here's the bad part. It's because you listen to Satan. Because you probably know all the things that you're not good at. That's straight from the devil. How many of you, when you talk about people, do you say, oh, that person's cool, but they do this. Or this person, yeah, whatever, but they really struggle in this area. Guys, how do you talk about people? Who are you like when you talk about people? Are you looking to find the strengths in people or are you looking to find the weaknesses in people and exploit it and make that known to raise yourself up? That's kind of called being a bully. That's not right. And I tell you, the best person that I know that I've met about finding the strengths in people is actually my father-in-law. He runs one of the biggest trucking companies on the East Coast and he has hundreds of people working for him and I meet these people and... I hope they're not listening, but sometimes they're just like, dude, really, how are you, like, productive? But my father-in-law looks at these people, and I have not ever once heard him complain about his employees. Could he? Yeah, all the time. They give him the worst time ever. But he sees somebody, and he says, hey, you could shovel dirt. Hey, I bet you could put, a, put you on a weed eater all day, and you stay busy. Or he sees another guy, and he says, hey, I need an engine taken apart. you got a mechanical mind. I bet you could do it. He sees strengths, and he has built something. He says to people, you have these strengths. Come be a part of my team. Come be a part of something greater, because your strengths are valuable. That's what makes you successful. I digress. That was a side note, by the way. That was, that was not what we're talking about today as we're talking about suffering. Um, but it is important to note that Guys, who, who do you see people as? So we're, we're back to talking about Job. Job the man. Job, in a sense, a king of the east where he lives. 
And Satan now has permission to take away everything he has, and he does not waste time. Picking up in, in verse 13, I'll kind of summarize through, through 20 here. Satan wastes no time, and he wipes out all of his cattle. His ten sons are annihilated. A building is brought down on all of them. It's a huge natural disaster. It's terrible. It's terrible what Satan does. But what does Job say after Satan's carnage is over? Job simply says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Guys, how attached to your possessions are you? Is your security in your 401k? Is your security in your financial portfolio? Is your walk with God tied to how, how well you can be off financially? Job's wasn't. That's a guy who separated his possessions from his walk with God and said, God is above my possessions. That's noteworthy. That's cool. You need that to get through your tragedy. You need to know that, that God is good on his own and that everything that you have is just a blessing and it's a privilege and it might not last forever. In fact, I know it won't because we don't live forever. But if that wasn't bad enough, Satan is still not happy with Job. Okay, Job is not cursing God. He's not falling on his face and saying that God is evil or anything like that. Job just said what I said, blessed be the name of the Lord. So Satan goes back to God. We see in chapter 2, Satan goes back to God and says, uh, God, you know, the possessions were one thing, but, I mean, if you take away his health, if you touch his skin, skin for skin, God, a man will give all he has for his own life. If it comes between Job's life and you, God, he will curse you to your face. Job belongs to me, Satan says. And it's the battle for the heart. And in your tragedy, Satan is battling for your heart. Go there. We're going to come out of your tragedy today. Think about it. So Satan takes Job and, again, in no time, inflicts sores from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. So bad, it says, that his friends that came to comfort him later, who didn't really end up comforting him at all, could not even recognize him. Essentially, Job is on his deathbed now. His wife even said, this is how bad it is. His own wife said this in verse 9, chapter 2. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Guys, and this is, this is the biggest question of Job. And it's what really the whole chapter is about from, from the body of it. Is who do you listen to in your tragedy? We can all tune into Oprah. We can all tune into Dr. Phil. We can all tune into friends that we know probably tell us what we want to hear. But Job holds out and listens to God. He does not listen to his wife who said basically, I want nothing to do with you. You should die so that I can be out of this covenant contract with you of marriage. Boy, that's encouraging. Who do you listen to? If Job listened to just anybody, he would have just died. This would be the end of the story. 
But Job held out and wanted to listen to God. Even his three friends came, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. I mean, those names alone should have been enough to you know, negate whatever they had to say. But, <laughs> no. But they come to Job, and they straight up start preaching prosperity to him. They're like, Job, I mean, you used to be the cool guy, and, um, you know, bad times have come your way. You must have done something bad. You must have done something bad. Your tragedy is your fault, Job. Why don't you repent? God is so great, Job. And he will bless those who bless him. And God only, only punishes the wicked. So you must be wicked. And Job rightfully responds with, Guys, God raises the sun on the just and the unjust. The wicked do prosper, Job says. And Job says, I cannot break my conscience. I don't know what I did. And his friends could not argue with him. Job was blameless. He did no wrong. But yet tragedy struck. In your, in your tragedy, the devil wants to make you believe that it's your fault. It's your fault she ran out on you. It's your fault that your dad never stayed in the family. It's your fault. It's not your fault. It's irrelevant. Fault is irrelevant. What is relevant is that God is good and he has plans to turn your tragedy into something that gives him glory. Job held out. Job held out and listened to God. There were plenty of voices around him, but Job held out and he listened to the Lord and he made it through his tragedy. And I have two more examples. One is a video that we're about to see here of people that faced tragedy just like you and me. And sometimes tragedy, like the video that we'll see here, is actually just a, an argument. Something about life that we observe, that we look at and we say, God can't be good. I think the video's coming. Suppose what Oscar believed in as he died, in spite of your protestations, suppose it's all true, mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, what's known as the Odyssey, I think, I, I'll say, bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. And you think you're going to get in no, on that? No, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're wrong. Now, if I died and it was, it was Pluto, Hades, and if it was the 12 Greek gods, then I would have more truck with it because the Greeks were... They didn't pretend not to be human in their appetites and in their capriciousness and in their unreasonableness. They didn't present themselves as being all-seeing, all-wise, all-kind, all-beneficent. Because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac. Utter maniac. Totally selfish. Totally... We have to spend our life on our knees thanking him? What kind of God would do that? Yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did you do that to us? You could easily have made a, a creation in which that didn't exist. It is simply not acceptable. 
So, you know, atheism is not just about not believing there is a, is not believing there's a God, but on the assumption that there is one, what kind of God is he? It's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living, in my opinion. That sure is the longest answer to that question that I ever got in this entire series. Capricious monster. Maniac. Totally selfish. Look at Job's life. The man was a prince among princes. A king of the region, totally respected. And God gave permission for him to be brought so low that people hardly recognized him. He came to a point where he was practically on his deathbed begging God to just walk by and It says that people would just walk by and spit on him because that's all he was good for. They couldn't recognize him. He was covered in ash and sores and worms, covered all of his sores. God, God played a part in that. How is God not a bully? How is God good when he lets my mom battle ovarian cancer for six years? Are you ready for people like that? There's people here that, that are, have the spirit of that video. You're just not as vocal as he is. But your tragedy needs to be dealt with, and God needs to be proven good. Matt and his team could probably make his way up now. Guys, this is not easy. There's people in Morgantown that, that look at that video and agree. When I first saw it, I said, bone cancer in children? There's insects that just blind people? Yeah. What? What? What answer do we have to refute that? Are you ready for that? It's time for us as a church to wrestle with these things, to man up, to strengthen ourselves, mature ourselves in our faith and say, we have an answer for that. What is it though? And here it is. The reason that God is not a bully to Job is not because everything afterwards, Job made it through his tragedy, got double what he had before. It's not the reason God's not a bully. It still happened. The reason God's not a bully is because he did the same thing to himself. What Job, or what Job never was told by God was, Job, you are like my brother. You truly are a representation of me. And it's not just because you're so fair, because you're so kind, because you're so good to the poor, because you help out the widow. But in a few thousand years, I'm going to do something that will rock humanity at its core. I, like you, a king, a rightful king, a right heir to the throne, will come down, step down off of my throne, off of my high position. When God speaks, people listen. Actually, it goes more than that. When God speaks, matter listens. When God spoke, if you want to know why God, you can't hear audibly God speak, 
It's because when he speaks, matter moves. Mountains form. Oceans separate. Beings become new. If you're saved, you've heard that one time in, this, in one way. And then he talks through his spirit. But I believe that every time a man is saved, he hears that voice of God. He hears it. And it's so clear to him because God's voice creates something new because that's what the Bible says. Behold, you are a new creation. That is awesome. How is God fair? When my mom was battling cancer, when children develop bone cancer, where's God at? I asked that. I remember clenching my fist and saying, God, where are you? And he told me. He said, 2,000 years ago, I went to a place, and I'm still there for your mom. He was on the cross. Cancer never beat my mom. The six years that my mom battled cancer, God was building her house. God was preparing a body that she never had to worry about sickness again. Guys, heaven fulfills your tragedy. It's not all about what you can see here. Let your faith be your sight. Stephen Fry is right if heaven is, is not real. God is a bully if there is no heaven. But I'm telling you that he is good. You can trust him with everything. He is good. Heaven fulfills your tragedy. And as Matt starts to sing here, I want us to to do something a little bit different this time. I hope that you've all journeyed to a tragedy in your life. And I don't want you to stand up and sing until you've thought about your tragedy and you wrestle. And you say, I know this happened. I know that my dad never loved me. I know that my mom had cancer. I know that my family was so broken it's not even real. I know that I was abused. One in four women and one in six children or boys are abused sexually before they turn 18. There's somebody in this room who has struggled with that. And I'm here to tell you that God is good. And he has a plan for you. And he will win. At the last day, when the two kings meet, our Redeemer will live and he will come down on his white horse, tattooed, and said, I am. And it's over. That's the battle. We don't even have to do anything. We just have to be on the right side. We have to trust him. It's so easy for him. And he just wants you on his side. He's with you every step of the way. The reason that he didn't stay here physically, we talked about this a little bit last time, but the reason he didn't stay here physically is so that his spirit could be inside of us. And his spirit was inside my mom. All six years of cancer cancer and well before that. God's spirit is in you and he's with you in your tragedy. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you and it's not your fault. It's irrelevant whose fault it is. What's relevant is that we're on God's side. The true king who left his throne like Job left his position. And remember that and know that your tragedy is not greater than God's glory.